thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 403, where today CJ and I are going to talk about another epic outage with Microsoft Azure and HoloLens in the United States Department of Defense and a little more stuff. Recorded live April the 2nd, 2021. This episode is brought to you by AppPoint. If you like the Microsoft Cloud Show, you'll love the Shift Happens podcast with MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation project. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably rise when ambitious people try to impact their workspace. Season 1 features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to avpoint.com slash blog slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. And we're back. Morning, CJ. Good morning. So we're on episode 403, which technically is like, it's supposed to be like an application response, right? So it's supposed to be like an intentional thing by the service owner or the developer, which it stands for a 403 forbidden, which yeah. is a client error status response code that indicates that the server understood the request but refused to authorize it. The status is similar to 401, but in this case, reauthenticating will make no difference. Yes. It doesn't really apply to the epic outer Azure <laughs> outage that we had yesterday on April the 1st. No, it was not a joke. But it, because this outage, which we'll talk about a little bit later, was a suspected DDoS attack, I guess somebody else made the decision that Azure was going to be forbidden. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it certainly felt like everybody was forbidden from using Azure for a while. Yeah. It was, oh my gosh, I, I saw the status dashboard. We'll talk about it later on about the details, but man, it was wide, a wide-ranging one this time. And the first thing I thought, I wonder if it was Azure AD. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely get into that a little bit more. So what's up with you? What have you been up to today, the last week? What's been going on? Well, funnily enough, yesterday was April the 1st, which is obviously April Fool's Day here in the States. Yep. And I say that in the States because April the 1st, for me, always starts the day before with all my friends in New Zealand trying to pull tricks on me, right? Because they're a day ahead. So it's like a two-day sort of thing. But the other thing that complicates it is April the 1st is also my wife's birthday. So, uh. <laughs> so yeah, you can pull all sorts of funny games, but haha, but by the way, it's my birthday. You still got to be nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, I've just uh, been, that's uh, good. been uh, dealing with that this week. Our kids are, this, are going back to school, and I put in air quotes, 
plan because it's like one of those plans at the beginning of a project where you look at and you're like, this is never going to work, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're dealing with that. There's a bunch going on. And, uh, and then today, I'm right after our podcast recording, I am going to get jabbed with my second vaccine shot, which I feel oh. very fortunate to be able to go and do. Very nice. Very nice. I got my first one this past Monday, and my second one will be later in the month. Do you care to share like which one you which uh, vaccine you got? Oh, yeah, I got the one where um, I get the strong urge to go into the Microsoft store and buy Xbox products, and that 5G one that whenever a text message on my phone arrives, I get this sudden urge to stand up and say, yell, can you hear me now? <laughs> I don't know which one that is. Is that the so, Gates one? That's the not the Matt Gates one. That's yeah. different. That's the that's the under seventeen year old one. But the the, the oh Bill Gates God. one is different. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. That's okay. For those of you, yeah, just a little bit of context. For those of you who don't know what he's talking about, there's a politician in the United States that's kind of in, uh, embroiled in a scandal. Oh, what the hell? It's another sex scandal, right? So, Yeah, fair enough. Yes, it's just topical right now. No, in all honesty, I am uh, getting the Pfizer vaccine. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'm a little worried about it, actually, because I've heard the second shot craziness. Like some people, no problem whatsoever. But a surprising number of people that I've talked to have had the day after. It's not the day of, it's usually the day after where they're just utterly wiped out and just basically have to have a big long nap all day. I'm getting the Pfizer one, although when I got my call and said you can get a vaccine and it said you have two appointments, I kind of had the attitude which I don't really care which one I get. I mean, yes, yeah. if I, I'll take whichever one is offered to me first. If I had a preference, yeah, I prefer one of those mRNA ones, either the Pfizer or the Moderna one, but just because of what I learned about it, just the techie side of yeah, me, like, yeah. I just think it's interesting. Very. But I didn't really care too much which one it was. It just happens to be that I was, I'm getting the, I got the Pfizer one as well. I see these people that are, when I tell people I got the, I'm getting the Pfizer one and they say, how'd you feel after the first one? Everyone asks them the questions. So I'm like, you know, my arm was sore. It's, it's a shot Standard. So in, yeah. the mu in a muscle. So yeah, it was my, my arm was sore and they're like, oh, be careful the next day, da, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm just like. You wouldn't say that if I had a sore throat, or you wouldn't say that if I had a head cold. I'm like, I don't get what everyone's like going berserk about. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, it's kind of irritating to me, like going, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. With somebody who is, I'm looking forward to it because I'm now reading stuff that the vaccine apparently is helping the long haul people. Huh. There's a lot of stuff that people are saying that a lot of their long haul symptoms are disappearing once they got the vaccine. So I'm kind of hoping that this like, the symptom that I have of no taste kind of coming and going and the muted taste and everything, yeah. I'm hoping that, that it wipes that out as well. So Yeah, that would be great. They're doing it where they're they're doing it where uh the fire department is what's is doing it near us. And um I sat down for my first shot and pulled out a and the nurse goes, So are you ready for your shot? And I'm like, Yep. And I pulled out a little shot glass and set it down. I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> and she starts giggling and she's like, It's not that kind of shot. I'm like, Oh, and she goes, You only brought one? What about mine? And I'm like, I'm sure you got some alcohol to wipe this thing down. Yeah. Let's just both, both go at yeah, it. That's right. That's right. Sanitize and uh, go for it. Who goes first? Yeah. We'll see. I, I don't know. Just a bit apprehensive yeah. about having a, a day in bed, but, you know, not uh, not the end of the world. Yeah. The same here. Same here. That's, I, no second thought about it or anything. So I was very, I'm just very impressed, like how it is around us, like how how fast they're opening up. My wife and I both got ours on Monday. My son, who's 16, he's technically eligible next Monday. So we're recording this on a Friday. He's eligible on starting in Florida on Monday. Yet they gave him an appointment for today. So apparently he's getting it three days early. And someone's like, can he do that? Is that is that okay? I'm like, I don't really don't think anything changes in three days. Yeah. That there's. <laughs> 
Yeah, your body's not going to change in three days. So uh, it's awesome, though. I'm really glad. I actually saw, last thing on this, I saw Steve Barmer's website, usafacts.org, I think it was. Oh, yeah. has a really cool breakdown of statistics on the vaccine rollout in the United States, which if that interests you, go check out his website, usafacts.org, I think it is, .com, I think. Yeah, uh, anyway. It's surprising, like roughly around 30% of the country now in the US, obviously, the country has had a single shot or more, which mm-hmm. is a huge number of people. Like it's kind of, you know, I don't want to get into the politics side of it, obviously, but like it's a mind boggling infrastructure project mm-hmm. to mobilize and get people, get that many people vaccinated in a relatively short period of time. Like the logistics of something like that just, Boggle my brain. It did for me as well. I mean, I, I, just to one thing on that, and then we'll definitely move on. Is like where I was, I was surprised at how fast I was able to get in, how well oiled the process was, how yeah. it wasn't rushed or anything. It was very fast, but it wasn't rushed. It was just very efficient. There's that. And then it's also very reassuring to at least where I am. They're doing a lot of these little pop-up yeah. vaccine things where they have a certain number of doses and they'll just announce it on Facebook or on social media or yeah. in the news. And it's like Hey, we popped up a tent at this one library. We have doses of, J- of the Johnson & Johnson shot. So there's no extra. They're doing a lot with Johnson & Johnson, so they don't have to schedule anything afterwards. Right. And they're gone in like two hours, two or three hours. So it's really cool to see these lines popping up and people like they're flooding these little spots and just to get jabbed. So. Yeah, I got an extra one. I was never on the eligibility list here in Washington, but they have these standby lists for people that want to be on a standby wait list for any extras left at the end of the day that they don't want to throw out. And so mm-hmm. my wife and I got a got a call and you have to be there in 30, 30 minutes or less at the very end of the day. And uh, so we rushed down there and got it. It was, yeah. worked out pretty well. We were on one of those lists and then they said, it's going to be open on Monday. They told us on a Wednesday that it would be open to 40 years old and up the, follow, the next Monday. And yes, we get up on the wait list and... The next morning they called us and said, yeah, here's your appointment. But yeah, you know, it's kind of, it's funny because they're opening, it's almost like our governor is in like a pissing match with the president Mm. of the administration because the administration would say everybody's going to be eligible by May the 1st. And then a couple of days later, our our governor is like, "Mm, everybody by the the end of March is going to be eligible for um, 40 (laughs) years and up. And then the president comes up and goes, we're going to do 200 million in 100 days instead of 100 million. And our, our governor comes back and he's like, and 16 and up. <laughs> so it's like, I want up here. I'm like, you know what? That's fine. You guys want to get in a pissing match? That's a great match it. to be in. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, before we dive into the content, I thought we have a little, little bit of context about our show because we don't have a ton of stuff to talk about today, I think. But this past week was the MVP summit for Microsoft. We can't talk too much about the technical side of, you know, what stuff we've learned because it's all like NDA level stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. But they've been running it as a uh, uh, using Microsoft Teams as the conference host again, which Microsoft has tried to do. I shouldn't say tried to do. Microsoft has done multiple times over the last year. I mean, you and I are both MVPs. I'm on more of the Microsoft 365 side. You're on the Azure side. What's been your take on that experience? Have they gotten better with it? Do you like it? I think it has improved, but I think the way it's from the virtual conferences done with Teams recently, the way this one has improved is by getting a better, not great, but better scheduling tool out of Teams. Right. So they've let you 
pick all your sessions and put them on a calendar and giving you a calendar feed and all that sort of stuff, but outside of Teams. And then when you want to go watch a session, which was kind of comical to start with because they didn't get this right, but when you want to watch a session, they give you a link into a Teams meeting and you join in. And so that's a bit janky, honestly, like not having one tool to rule it all. But it's certainly gone better than the previous examples I've seen, Mm -hmm. which was kind of good. You know, the one thing that really irritates me about it, though, and this is, this is, I hope it's not just me being pedantic about it, but I use Teams in my day job. Mm -hmm. When you click into one of these meetings and join it, it flips you to the Microsoft org. Mm -hmm. You have to join in on the Microsoft org in Teams, right? And so Teams can't deal with multi-org properly right? Mm -hmm. You have to be in one org or the other org and you flip between them, right? But when you're in one, you can't be in the other. So when you click one of these meeting invites and you go to the MVP summit session, it effectively signs you out of teams in your current org. And so you don't get messages, you don't get notifications, you don't get any of that sort of stuff. And then the other one I noticed was I had one session up that I just wanted to watch. I didn't want to listen. I just wanted to sort of keep track of what was going on in the slides while I attended another one of my work meetings. And as soon as I clicked that link and it flipped my org, boom, signed me out of my day job and ended the meeting that I wanted to join. So that is a really not great part of it. Those are the bits that I noticed about the experience, but the scheduling side was much better. That is you, that I was going to say the exact same two things. Like there was a couple of us that did a, like a little virtual happy hour after the the sessions one day. And Originally, it was scheduled during Teams, and a couple of people started request, can we not do it during Teams? And that was, I was in the same boat because I have Teams closed right now because I don't want all the notifications coming in. I don't want people seeing that I'm there. Even though you can change your status, it gets changed back, I've found at times for different reasons. And I just, I want to be able to focus. I wanted to focus on the Summit content, or I wanted to watch two or three Summit sessions at once, only the audio in one. But I wanted to have them up and be able to jump between a couple different things. Or I wanted to be able to shut off the audio coming from Teams, yes. but have other audio on my laptop still going. Yes. And I could you can't do it. That's the thing. I can't mute a meeting. You can mute yourself. Yes. You can mute your microphone. You can't mute others. I can mute the microphone, but not the speaker part yeah. of the meeting. And that's that was frustrating. The people I talked to about this, they were like, oh, I just use like multiple devices. I'm like, that is a pain in the ass. <laughs> It's all ridiculous, hacky, crappy workarounds. Yeah. Yeah. So I did learn one thing that I can share. I thought this was pretty cool. This is from Nat Freeman said this, who's the the head honcho over at GitHub. He said, you know, he looked at the stuff that they had been doing and he noticed that, you know, Microsoft and GitHub work closely with the state of California to help them with their open source stuff and a lot of their COVID management and implementation of their website and stuff like that. And when they looked at the dependency tree of everybody that had contributed to all the projects that were used by the stuff that California used, they looked at that and there was like 10,000 developers, right? People that aren't employed by the by anybody that are tied into this project, but they had made a contribution. Yeah. Then they looked over at the NASA Perseverance mission for on Mars right now with Ingenuity and the Perseverance rover. And again, 10,000 developers contributed to open source projects that were all rolled into that somehow play a part into this NASA mission. Hmm. And using their dependency stuff, there's one person that they found in the United Kingdom who did both. Wow. 
who made contributions to both. Wow. That's really, I thought that was kind of cool. That's really cool. I'm surprised yeah. it's only one out of 10,000. You'd think there might be a couple of overlaps, but I was too. That's cool. There's one. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought it was good. They were getting better with it. Of course, by the time if Microsoft actually figures, figures out how to do virtual conferences with Microsoft Teams, we'll all be at a conference, but fair enough. Cool. You want to get onto the meat and potatoes of the show? Let's do it. Meat and potatoes actually sounds good right now. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by ShareGate. Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. And now back to the show. All right, so let's start with the epic outage on April the 1st. Now, I've noticed something and I wanna make sure we have a little disclaimer here. In the last three weeks, there have been two major Azure outages in the last 15 days. And you and I normally record the podcast on Thursdays. We do it at 11 a.m. East Coast time, United States. You're 8 a.m. in the Pacific, in the Pacific time zone. And for some reason or not, in the last two in the last two weeks or last 15 days, we've had to change the schedule a little bit yeah. to where we've either pushed it a full day or either late in the day. I'm just going to say it's a very unplanned coincidence that both of the times that we've done that, there has been an epic Azure outage when we've done that. (laughs) This has not been planned. Someone was like going, wow, you guys, you know, they should totally talk to you guys when you guys do this. I'm like, if if we have any influence over this, then we totally should set up some sort of an auction plan to where we can collect some revenue to whenever we want Azure to go down. So you want Azure to go down? We'll just push the show by a day. It's just going to cost you about 15 grand. It does seem... (laughs) Awfully coincidental, doesn't it? <laughs> that is funny, though. That is funny. We're, I mean, maybe we are like, remember that octopus that predicted the World Cup soccer out, outcome like back in 2010, I think it was, where he got each of, was it Portugal's games or England's games, predicted England's games correctly? Yeah, I was talking to the kids about this octopus the other day. Maybe we're the octopus for Azure outages. Might be. We'll have to see when this happens again. Yeah, let's try. Here's what we know so far. You know, they haven't had a really detailed official answer from Microsoft what this was. But what we know so far is that at around 5.30 p.m. on the East Coast, the United States East Coast, so around 21.30 UTC on April the 1st, for about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, it looked like everything that had that was had Microsoft standing behind it just completely fell apart and was unavailable. It, this was one of the biggest outages, if not the biggest outage I've ever seen that's come from Azure. It appears to have been a DNS issue. It appears to have been a suspected DDoS attack that they were able to mitigate. 
But the things that just got me with this one that were so impactful was not only did it knock out, you know, being able to authenticate, it knocked out authentication with Teams, it affected Microsoft 365, it affected you to get you know, to any of your stuff inside of Azure. But the, the two things that really jumped out to me were, I have a static website living on in an Azure CDN or living in an Azure blob that's backed by or that's fronted by an Azure CDN, custom domain and everything. Yeah. And all of our sites, our podcast, my business, and my blog, all of them were, gone, were, were completely unavailable, which that shocked me hmm. that it knocked that stuff out. But then the other thing that was really surprising to me is that once they were able to get control of their status dashboard again, if anybody has, hasn't seen these, you got to go back and look at some of these screenshots. If you go back and look at my Twitter, at least from the on the afternoon or the evening of April the 1st, I have never seen the status dashboard with every single thing in North America had the orange triangle, which yeah. is one step above Impacted critical. or whatever. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was DNS is like one of those things, you know, it's dial tone, right? You got to have... Who knows what a dial tone is these days? Gosh, I'm aging myself. But you know what I mean, right? It's <laughs> when was the last time you heard a dial tone? Not yesterday with Azure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have the the uh, the dial the modem connection thing as my ringtone uh, on my phone. Old school, love it. Yeah, although it's always on silent, so I never hear it. But yeah. So yeah, DNS is just one of those dial tone services you got to have. Like it's got to work, and otherwise nothing else works. And you know, it's probably you know one small thing, and boom, you're out of town. And it's a really old. Protocol. It's tricky, but yes, I've never seen it lit up quite that bad. At least with an Azure AD outage, if you were signed into things already, sometimes that would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. You know, but it, but this was like an an all off kind of thing. Yeah, this is like power. Yeah. Here's the thing that gets me about this, and I I pontificated on Twitter this morning about it, and I don't I don't know. There's not. I have no measurement behind this, or no like you know analytical evidence to say this is true. But the thing that gets me about this is that I kind of get this feel from some of these Azure outages that we've seen, specifically around DNS, around SSL, and around Azure AD, that we have these single points of failure that are still single points of failure. And while we may have these other services that are resilient between databases and storage and whatever, and websites, it doesn't seem that things are getting better. It seems like these things are still happening. I don't know what you can do. I'm not a network guy, and I don't know what you can do to completely make yourself immune from DDoS attacks, or at least be able to silence them from happening for a very long amount of time, or for, for, for the duration lasting as long as it really did, and more of it just being a blip. But it's just surprising to me that it just feels like, from the outside, not having perfect information or perfect visibility to what's going on inside Microsoft, from the outside, it doesn't seem like this is getting better over the last couple of years. Hmm. But the single points of failure between DNS, between SSL, you know, mistakes and or you know, certificates expiring, it always seems like you keep turning around going, well, we'll quash this and we'll quash this and we'll quash this. And another one pops up and goes, okay, this was this SSL problem that we had and we're actually fixing that. And then another one comes up and goes, oh, it's SSL again, but that's a different problem. We're fixing this one. It feels very much like the pre-Vista days of Windows when we'd have this malware and viruses pop up and it would always be like squash it, squash whack it, squash it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all whack-a-mole. And it's but it's like, when are we gonna have this thing that's a lot more hardened to be able to protect us against this kind of stuff? And is that even possible? I gotta think it is, but surely. Well, that's what I was getting at a little bit with the whole, you know, DNS is kind of one of the fundamental things you need 
to be working, right? And it's an old protocol. And so there are limitations with it. And, you know, I'm not an infrastructure guy, but it was built a really long time ago to solve quite different problems than it's being used for now, and especially at the scale it's being used at now. Like, and you got to wonder, like, I wonder, you know, some of the, are these protocols, are we able to solve some of these problems with these protocols because they're just so old and they were never designed with, you know, this sort of scale in mind and with these sorts of security issues in mind. And now it's really hard to change. Like IPv4, right, is still a huge thing. And we're how many years after IPv6 got introduced? Like 20, 15, something like that. Anyway, and, um, you know, we're still running out of IP addresses. So there's some fundamental (laughs) issues that at some point we've got to hit breaking point and switch out. But huge, insurmountable problems. I've read where there's different things you can do with like secure DNS and stuff like that and make it a little more hardened. And I don't know. I mean, but it just, it's, um, I just have a hard time believing that it's like, oh, this is just the way it is. It's how you end up dealing with it. Yeah. The other big thing, too, that's going to come from this is who's responsible for this one? Like, let's get down to the brass tacks. Is it one of the things that Microsoft has done recently around all the security stuff and you know, pointing the finger at Russia? Did Russia decide that it was like going, hey, we didn't do solar winds. Stop telling us we did solar winds and telling everybody else that we did it. Screw you guys. Watch this. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know if you saw this week, but there was a, in the US, somebody balked up the bottling or something of vaccine and lost 10 million doses or something. They had to throw 10 million doses out. 15 Johnson & Johnson doses out of a factory in Baltimore because they screwed up. Yeah. They screwed up like a mix. That's right. Yeah. And so whoever that was is like, uh, guys, <laughs> I made a whoopsie. <laughs> I wonder if this is the same. <laughs> We'll see. And we'll wait for the uh, the full write up. But uh, somebody's having a bad day. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've got another. I've got two other Azure things that I just wanted to throw out here. One of them is the Azure Cosmos DB guys. Yeah. are doing a virtual conference. They're doing it on April the twenty first and twenty second. It looks like it's about three hours. There's three three hour blocks that are going on over the course of these two days. They're they're interesting times, but they're it looks pretty interesting for the, the topics that they're going to cover and stuff. So if you're interested, you can go check out gotcosmos.com slash conf, and that's available. And we have that link in the show notes as well. They also announced Azure Cosmos database YouTube channel that they're going to have with a bunch of content. Hmm. It's pretty cool what they're doing. I did go to a session that they had at the at the MVP summit. It was like just, it was one of the best sessions I went to. Is just like, wow. All I can say is, wow. What that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah good. Cosmos is awesome. So, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't heard this was coming. I'll definitely have to tune in for this, either live or on demand on their YouTube channel. Yeah. Nice. It's going to be pretty cool. And then uh, was I got one more thing, and I'm just going to throw this. I'm going to throw this link out there. It's actually, I'm putting it in yeah. the Azure category of our news, but this is something I've, you see different ones of these like pop up here and there, but I've never, I haven't seen one from AWS, haven't seen one from Azure. Google actually came up with this one, the Google Cloud Platform. They have a table that lists out the competing or the the comparable capabilities and and service offerings from each of the public clouds. So if you want to do a relational database, here are the different, here's what Azure calls it. Here's what AWS calls it. Here's what Google Cloud calls it. You want to do storage? Here's what each one of them calls it. And of course, you know, they favor their own. And so they have links to their own documentation for it. But 
I mean, it's nice because if you hear about these these different services and it's like, oh, I know what this does. Well, how can I figure out what that the name of that service is over in Azure? Do we have that in Azure? So I think this is quite interesting. It's a nice summary. The one thing that strikes me about it is how little difference there is. So I did a, yeah. I did a quick highlight of all of the places that it says there's no equivalent alternative in the Azure column. And it's not all that many places. And of the places where they've called out that there's no equivalent, there are some very obvious ones, but there's also some not so obvious ones that are very sort of Googly specific as well. Mm-hmm. And um, like Beyond Corp Enterprise, there's no addition. No, oh, that's no equivalent alternative in AWS, but apparently AD Conditional Access is available in Azure. And then there's another one around Firebase and things like that. So anyway, it just struck me that the three services are surprisingly very close in terms of services offered. And if I were Google, this table doesn't really tell me what I think their marketing team wanted. <laughs> yeah. Which was how awesome <laughs> Google is in comparison to Azure or AWS. But um, Yeah, it's a great resource. A great I'm just not sure I want to publish it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it in their technical docs? It's probably not in their marketing material. But yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cool, fine. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. What do you got for us this week? We haven't spoken about our love-hate relationship, actually probably hate-hate relationship with Cortana over the last wee while. But yesterday, I came across a post called Rip Cortana, Microsoft Silence's Digital Assistant on iOS and Android. And really, this is just a confirmation, a confirmation <laughs> or another another notch in the belt or uh, you know step in the progression towards Cortana dying. The iOS and Android, uh, sorry, iOS, yeah, iOS and Android apps are being discontinued, and this is just another step in the progression, right? Like, she's been removed from the Start menu in Windows, pretty silently as well. Like, I no hoopla and all that sort of stuff. So, unfortunately, Cortana's days are numbered, if not already gone. Maybe that she exists. Maybe on a no. I think the heart come. Harman Kardon speaker that was done with Microsoft. Yeah, but that's been discontinued too. That's been discontinued as well. Yeah. I booted up my old Windows phone the other day and Cortana didn't work. Yeah. Hopefully she'll be in the next Halo at least. She didn't get like the complete boot. Oh yeah, they can't get rid of her out of Halo. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, yes, she's, if not gone, gone, then uh, very, very close to it. That's interesting. It was a long shot. <laughs> that's kind of how I am. Third place. A distant third place, right? I mean, it's, yeah. we have the Amazon devices. I'm not going to say it because it's sitting under my microphone right now, but we have the Amazon devices in our house, but I found that I've enjoyed using the Apple equivalent mm. of it more than I like using the Amazon assistant Interesting. a lot more. So it would be, I'd really like to be able to like click a button and just say, hey, all those places where I have that throughout all, all those Amazon devices through the house, the little dots, I'd like to replace them with the little, the small, not the not the you know $2 million version of the Apple one, but the little small pods that they have, so. Yeah. Oh, well, rip Cortana. Smell you later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool, what else? I do have a handful of, of uh, M365 message center updates that I've been sitting on. Okay, doke. Let me blaze through these really quick. This is uh, Message Center 246738 announcing the retirement of compliance manager in the Service Trust Portal. This was uh, this is going to soon to be announced or soon to be retired. It looks like it's going away by May the 26th, 2021. So make sure you get on that if you're going to if you use that today and you need to migrate off of it. 
The next one's 246706, updating Microsoft Teams live event, quote, always recording, always record recording policy. The idea with this is that they're changing the default behavior of the never record policy for Microsoft Teams live events. It's interesting because they talk about always record and never record. Mm. Before this update that's going to roll out sometime in late April of 2021, the Teams live events organizer could enable attendee recordings despite you having set the Teams live event recording policy to policy to never record. Policy. This change. That's the plural. Yeah, policy. <laughs> <laughs> With this change, Teams live event recording policy, when it's set to never record, all live events will have the recordings disabled for everyone. Seems obvious. Okay, so I'm glad we're getting that, quote, change or a list fix. Um, another one is uh, changes to the way EOP moves email to the junk folder. So today, or sorry, going forward, exchange online policies, I guess. Protection. EOP, maybe protection. Mm. Going forward, it will use, exchange online will use its own mailbox delivery agent to move malicious emails to the junk folder, depending on the policy set by the security admins and the anti-spam policy. Although it will still honor the safe sender and block sender preferences set in Outlook, just like it does today. All right, I'm almost done. Uh, got another one. RBAC for external admins on Microsoft Cloud App Security is changing. This is Message Center, message center 246403. It's what they're doing is they're going to, once this change happens, external admins will be configured through Azure AD B2B as opposed through the Microsoft Cloud App Security thing. They're going to, they're basically just centralizing or consolidating it down to just gotcha. one admin experience. And my last one is quick create, easily create Power BI reports from Microsoft List. This is Message Center 248201. What this is going to allow people to do is there's going to be a UX inside of the inside of lists to where you can choose on the integrate where you can choose Power Apps or Power Automate. You'll also now have a Power BI where you can then visualize the list inside of Power BI. Very cool. Very nice. Your message center updates. Wonderful. Before we move on to our picks, I've got another two little bits of news. One's not so little. Microsoft has just landed a contract with the DOD, or the, sorry, the Army specifically, to spend, or sorry, to buy $21.9 billion worth of HoloLenses, which equates to 120,000 devices. And there's a bunch of other services in the contract, right? So it's not just $21 billion worth of HoloLenses. But apparently they're going to use it for training and using it for augmented reality in training over the next 10 years. And so it's I think it's split into two. I think the first part of the contract is five years and then the second part is five years. But yeah, 120,000 headsets. Pretty interesting. Yeah, this is interesting. I know one of, one of the people on, uh, one of our listeners on, Twitter mentioned this or called this out to us. I wasn't really clear what they were saying, if we would like this or dislike this or bag on it. This is the we one. We bagged on HoloLens a little bit. Oh, we bagged on a, a good bit. But this is the kind of thing that I think this makes sense to me. Like, this is a real world use to it. This isn't some LSD rave infused thing like, that we had, yeah. that we saw at like at the, the build or the Ignite conference. Ignite, yeah. This is like real world use to it. So this makes sense. Although I get that there's like this whole, you know, there's going to be this group of people that's going to, you know, say, no, you shouldn't be, you know, selling technology to a military thing to help better and make them more effective and stuff. And it's like, I don't buy into that side of it, but I find this to be, this is 
I think it's great for Microsoft, and I'm curious to see what they end up doing with this, or what the army ends up doing with this, or how much of it they actually share. It's definitely interesting, though. Yeah, yeah, it'll be cool to see if this proves out to be a valuable exercise, and what comes out of it, and how others might be able to use it, you know, in practical, real world scenarios. So, mm. also, I mean, twenty one point. $188 billion over 10 years is nothing to sneeze at. So uh, mm. nice work on Microsoft for winning that one. Like that one, bumping up about 2% when they did that, when they announced it. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm a stockholder. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, do you remember Don Box? I definitely do. Possibly most famous for doing a breakout session from a bathtub back at TechEd. I think it was 2001. It was quite a long time ago. It was yeah, it was 2001. Mary Jo Foley's got a piece on Don Box leaving Microsoft after 19 years. So um, he's worked on all sorts of interesting things, but like XML and SOAP and the COM object model and, and all of those things. And more recently, he's been working on this mixed reality stuff for, for HoloLens and Mesh, things like that. So he's worked on things that we've come to love to hate, right? Mm. Like, well, I mean, com I don't completely dislike, but things like SOAP web services and WCF, remember Indigo, codenamed Indigo? Oh. Windows Communication Foundation, things like that. Man, I mean, they were great at the time, but boy, they were not the right solution in the long run. We had come up with better things. But anyway, he's, yeah, he's leaving Microsoft after 19 years. So he's uh, a very long time, and it's been pretty quiet in the last, last wee while at Microsoft. But he's hidden out the door. Yeah, I think the, the part that interests me about it that I found interesting was that he alluded to it's not so much he's retiring and it's more that there are things that he wants to pursue and he's found that he can't do it at Microsoft. And so he ha or he's decided that to get the disruption that he's looking for and is focused, he has to leave. So I wonder what that means. That's interesting. I would put five bucks on him moving to Facebook because... Sorry, I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, assistance, yeah, I think he's. my guess would be he's moving to Facebook and because they're spending a lot of time on augmented reality and mixed reality at the moment, and my guess is he wants to go do some stuff there. Just a guess, though. Nothing. I have zero... Zero insights. Yeah, zero insights and no information to back that up. It's just a complete hunch. We'll see. Sorry about that. You, what you just heard there, that was a... <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, it decides that my Amazon Echo, which I can say it now because it's unplugged. It. Right. Oh, yeah, it's really silenced. Yeah, it decides to just do... It's the second time it's done that in the last two days where it just announces that it can't get to the internet. You and I are on Zoom right now talking to each other. So the internet is definitely working in my house. So I have no idea what it's complaining about. <laughs> Curious. Cool. Well, that wraps up a whole bunch of news for us. Are you... What do you think about doing uh, some picks? Let's get into it. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, CJ, I have a listener pick. We actually have a handful of listener picks that were submitted to us via Facebook Messenger and over the last couple of weeks. And this one, this one was pretty cool. I can't see a real-world use for this. But I mean, hey, good on this dad for uh, for going through and doing this. I'm sure he spent a boatload of money doing it. This is from David Sass. So David, thank you very much for submitting this. 
And this is a article from Autoblog with an accompanying video, I think, that is someone 3D printed a Lamborghini Aventador. <laughs> that blows my mind. I mean, yeah. have you seen how slow these 3D printers are? This must have taken him years. And not only that, he's got like, he got a blowtorch out to like smooth some things out and make them kind of angle things a little bit. And I mean, it, it, he did a, at least the, the picture that I that you can see from it. He did a pretty damn good job. Although it is kind of interesting seeing the uh, the clamps that are holding on like the rear fender and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's the shape of an Aventador. <laughs> It has a real engine, yeah. though. It's got an LS1, right, from a Corvette yep. or whatever. So it's uh, it's powered and you can drive it and stuff, which is a, probably not legally on the road. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. But, yeah, that's it's pretty pretty impressive project. It's interesting. So the guy is a Colorado physicist, used his 3D printer to build it. He gave himself a budget of about $20,000 hand-built a steel chassis, pulled an LS1 V8 from engine from a Corvette, found panel layouts through the online design community, and then modified them for 3D printing. The 3D plastic would melt, so he decided to incorporate carbon fiber encapsulation, which is what he used. With- so you'd go outside and the car would start drooping. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, though. Amazing. The front air bake alone took him 52 hours to complete. Wow. That's a lot of printing time too. Like he said, he used a printer, the Creel Creelity CR10 mm. 105 mm-hmm. desktop 3D printer that he got from Amazon for about 900 bucks. <laughs> Magic! That's incredible. That's pretty cool. What a great pick! Thanks for the pick. Yeah, thank you very much, David. How about you? What do you have for us today? Okay, I've got a pick called. It's just a website that you can go to. HTTP colon whack whack. Radio.garden. Radio.garden. Now, this is a website you can go to and listen to any radio station in the world. And it's like using Google Maps or something. And you can um, cruise around and find radio stations based on the geography. So, without further ado. You're now listening to radio from Suyabaya in Indonesia. <laughs> Cool. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. So you can, could you hear me when I was, okay. Yes. So, uh, yeah, you can cruise around the world and you can pick radio stations from sort of wherever in the world you want. Pretty cool, huh? That is pretty cool. Yeah. So with the internet, you can do a DDoS attack and bring down a cloud and then also listen to radio from Indonesia when you're sitting in Seattle or in Florida. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's cool because like there was a radio station I used to listen to all the time in New Zealand. And uh, and so the other day I just sort of tuned in and lo and behold, even 14 years after I'd left the country, the radio station's still going. Some of the same presenters are still on. It's quite funny. Huh. That is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, you can just sort of surf around the world and pick a location and see what radio stations they have online. I just imagine it taps into their internet feeds and shows them or, or you know, plays them for you. Man, that's neat. Yeah. How about you? What do you got for us this week? I'm going spacey. I learned this uh, actually from the GitHub keynote at the MVP Summit. It's public, so it's not, it has nothing really to do with GitHub, but it's open source. 
And it's something called F prime. F prime is a project that you can find on GitHub. I got a link to it in the show notes, just nasa.github.com. Sorry, nasa.github.io slash F prime spelled out. This is a software framework for rapid development and deployment of embedded systems in space flight applications. This was built by JPL and it's used, but not limited to things like CubeSats, small sats, instruments, and deployables. And it is the open source flight software that is being used for the little helicopter that's going that Perseverance is going to deploy. No Looks way. like it's going to happen on April the 11th. And it's all open source and you can go take a look at it. Wow, that's so cool. Isn't that cool? So that's the project that was being ref- that was referencing earlier in the show when Nat Freeman said, yeah, this is the flight software that was done and all these contributions and stuff. And you can go get all the source code. There's an installation guide. You can set it up on a Raspberry Pi. That's it's awesome. really cool. <laughs> How cool is that? We'll have to. I'll have to look at that in a little more detail. Yeah. Because uh, you know, I'm building a, uh, a space-faring vehicle, or I must be <laughs> shortly. So this will come in handy. Hey, well, that's okay. Because I actually have been looking at and researching just for fun Azure Orbital. So I'm looking forward to talking about it on the show a little bit. Awesome. From the stuff that I've learned from it, but it is. So you build the hardware. I'll handle the communication side. And we'll just figure something out that we can actually do from space to send it down to we can take a look at it. Sounds good to awesome, me. Awesome, man. I thought F Prime was going to be like Amazon Prime on Mars or something. Mm-mm. Mm. Get deliveries? No. no? Okay. No. Well, you could. I mean, you could use it to get to fly the stuff there. To, uh, to, <laughs> <laughs> to drop for the rovers? We could then figure out how to get Azure Orbital integrated into that as well. I think. Yeah, let's do it. Maybe if we could broadcast like an audio coming back from it, we can get the radio garden to actually pick it up as well. That need more than just the globe. They'd have to have the solar system. You can pick radio stations from different parts of the solar system. Easy. It's a freaking PR, man. It's a breeze. <laughs> <laughs> it's a PR. I like it. Awesome. All right. Well, I better go run off and get jabbed, but we'll chat next week. Absolutely, man. Have fun get, doing shots in the middle of the afternoon again, yeah. or middle, actually for you, middle of the morning. morning. And um, First thing almost, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Hope you're not too hungover. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Have a good one. All right, man. Take care. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.